Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 473 with Mike Vardy. We are talking about how to craft your time to boost your productivity. So you'll learn one, why you should not obsess over productivity apps. Two, how to craft your time with the five categories of mode-based work. And three, how to keep yourself motivated and on track through journaling. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F473. Now, here's Mike's story. Mike Vardy is an author, speaker, and productivity and time management strategist, aka a productivityist, based in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. His company, Productivityist, helps people stop doing productive and start being productive through a variety of online and offline resources. He's the author of The Front Nine, How to Start the Year You Want, Anytime You Want, published by Diversion Books, and has self-published several eBooks, the most recent of which is called The Productivityist Playbook. He currently hosts the Productivityist Podcast, a podcast that features insights and conversations surrounding productivity and workflow. Thanks to Mike for crafting some time on our behalf, and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Mike. Mike, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks for having me, Pete. This is going to be a great one. I can feel it already. Well, I, I think so, too. We were just dorking out, and I, I said, oh, I'm going to have to put a note in my OmniFocus about David Allen's upcoming book. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> here we are, as, as nerdy as it gets <laughs> with productivity. Yeah, that's kind of the way it goes. Once you get two of us productivity nerds in a room, it's hard to get us not to stop talking about that kind of stuff. It's, it's crazy. Yes. Well, although I want to know, uh, we got two nerds in a room. We're, we're not going to be doing any professional wrestling because we're, <laughs> I guess, the virtual room, and that wouldn't be very fun to watch. But I understand you have a passion for watching pro wrestling. What's the story here? Why does it grab you? It's like the one place I can kind of go and be like, okay, I'm going to watch the Royal Rumble right now. And I won't be thinking about time or productivity or anything. And my daughter's into it too. Like my daughter will watch it with me. So it's another way for us to bond as well. Well, fun times. And it's cool that your productivity skills have enabled it such uh, freedom and flexibility to enjoy these sorts of adventures as opposed to, oh no, I'm swamped. I couldn't possibly get away. We were talking earlier about you've got all your podcast episodes recorded through three plus months in advance. So that's pretty cool. So let's just get right into it when it comes to productivity. Your living happens as a productivity strategist, which is a really cool title. Uh, you don't see that very much in LinkedIn. So kudos. So boy, you've seen a lot of stuff. 
could you tell us just for beginning, what's maybe the most surprising and or fascinating discovery you've made as you have explored this big world of productivity? I think the most fascinating and it probably shouldn't be surprising now that I think about it, but we were talking off the top, you said, you know, putting it into OmniFocus. And when I first started my productivity journey, that's kind of where I started was with the apps, was with the technology. I mean, I I spoke at the OmniFocus 2 reveal. I was doing a lot of stuff with the next web and, and life hack and all that stuff, really digging into the apps. I was a Mac guy, right? So I was really into that. And so I was more of a productivity, let's say, enthusiast who became a specialist and was kind of teaching people how to use these apps and maybe using other methods. I kind of evolved into a strategist. I realized that the apps are secondary. I mean, we've seen apps come and go over the years. I've seen plenty of them. And the problem that I've seen, the funny thing is, is that I think the real fascinating part is it hasn't gone away. You'd think by now we'd be like, okay, yeah, right. It isn't the app. The app isn't going to do the work for us. It's the approach first, then the application. And and I think that's the thing that I'm really trying to kind of rail against is the idea that oh man, you have to get OmniFocus because OmniFocus is the best, or you have to use Evernote, or you know what, you have to have the latest and greatest. So you leave OmniFocus to move to things, and then you move to this other one, or you have to have one that works with... No, no, no. You have to have your foundation, your framework, this approach set up first, then the applications. But because we live in such a tech-heavy world where we've got you know a to-do list in our pocket that can do so many things... We tend to focus on the wrong things. And that what fascinates me is not only how long it took me necessarily to realize, hey, wait a minute, hold on. This is we're putting the cart before the horse here, but that it's still such a huge issue today. You know, that is well said. It's so fun to talk to someone who's been steeped in something for a long, long time and then to kind of walk away, look back at yourself and say, huh, oh, how young and foolish I was. (laughs) I think Ray Dalio said if you... Uh, look back at your decisions a year or two ago and, and you don't think that uh, you were a little dumb then, <laughs> then you haven't grown yeah. or learned much. Yep. So that's a fun little uh, <laughs> reframe on feeling embarrassed about your past. So, and I think that's dead on because it can get, I don't know, it's like shiny objects and I'm like, Ooh, there's a cool new thing. Let me try it out. Oh no, no, that's dumb because it doesn't do this or that. And then I guess I'm of two minds of this. On the one hand, I think there's some real beauty. Some tools are amazing and helpful and 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 schnazzy, and it, it's so great that they exist. The sheer enjoyment associated with a fine pencil or pen mm-hmm. or or note card or, or or beautifully designed piece of software can be extra enjoyable and maybe bring you to use it. But but much like the person who gets the super fancy piece of exercise equipment for the home, <laughs> no matter how fancy that thing is. You got to do the work if you want to enjoy the results. Yeah, you have to kind of decide, hey, like I'm a big Baron Fig pen and paper. I love my really nice pens, my really nice books, but it takes the stuff that you're doing with those things. That's what matters, right? Like a good example would be actually this past weekend, we were at a, my family and I were at a, uh, they had like a car free day in our downtown core. And we stopped to talk to one of my wife's friends and out of the corner of my eye, I didn't even see it until my son mentioned it. And then I, my eye gravitated. He goes, hey, dad, look, it's that big green egg that you want. And it was the big green egg barbecue. And I went over there and I'm like, oh, man, like this is something that I want. But I looked at the price. I'm like, this is not something that my wife will necessarily let me get right now. But that egg will probably make 
if if used correctly and i think that's the key thing right like it doesn't matter how great your tool is if you're terrible at using it then you've just got a really expensive tool that you're not very good at using and then you feel like a tool yes exactly zing boom sorry continue no no, no. <laughs> but i mean the thing is is that do i need to have that barbecue to barbecue food uh, no, I can find, you know, but do I need the cheapest one? Probably not. I could find some something in the middle. So it's, I think it's about finding, like, I think we need to start looking at things from a reasoned approach instead of going like purely emotional or purely logical. And that means like OmniFocus is a great example for those, for your listeners out there who know what OmniFocus is. It's like, it was one of the preeminent productivity apps that largely hung its hat on the getting things done methodology. Uh, you know, when it first came, it's, it's now, you know, become so much more than that. But if you stuck with that throughout, you've had a beautiful tool to use the whole way, but there's other software companies have come along like cultured code made things and todoist and asana and all these other ones you got to look at what the outcome you're looking for is and if your outcome is to use tools consistently uh to fit, <laughs> like switch tools then that's fine that was my job i had to do that <laughs> but 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 i think that a great craftsperson can get great results by using a tool that may not be the best tool so you should be looking at that and getting better. And then when you can get to the point where, hey, you know what? I have the bandwidth to try a new tool or to look at a new app or you're rarely forced into something like this. Then you can say, OK, you know what? I can do that. But I think the other key is, is to make sure that you've got a framework that like, let's say OmniFocus was to stop development tomorrow and shut down. <gasps> the, yeah, but you <laughs> but the thing is, you know, based on your use of it, because you've used it for so long, you're like, okay, I need something that has this functionality. That's one way to look at it. Right. But if you've never really used it, like, okay, I have a framework. And the, that's how I kind of looked at creating time crafting was this idea of how can there be a framework that can work in Microsoft Excel, on paper, in OmniFocus and things, in Asana, in Trello, wherever. So that way you can go, okay, well, OmniFocus is gone. I guess now I'm just going to move. I, I can find another app, but the the framework that I used is easily transferable. And that's the thing that I think people need to spend more time and attention to on as opposed to, oh, you know, the app will tell me what to do because garbage in, garbage out, right? Well, so let's talk a bit about that then. So regardless of the tool, when if we want to achieve, okay, I guess there's a two-parter here. First, let's establish the goal. What is it that we want to happen if we aspire to be quote unquote productive what does that mean and how do we know if we're winning well i think it's often an understanding of what you need to do and what you want to do i think that those are two things that we need to really get i know we hear a lot of like i have to do this and then the have to turns to get to that can be a big leap for some people to say hey i have to go to work because i have to pay the bills as opposed to i get to go to work because and I get to pay my bills because of it, because that's a pretty big leap. So I like to go down again, reasoned down the middle and say need to. I need to go to work because I, or I need to do this task because this will offer another need. If you look at Maslow's you know, hierarchy of needs, you can kind of, I'm not going to go into that too deep, but that's kind of where that comes from. I think that the key here is to understand, okay, all these things that are in my head, number one, are they in a place where I can evaluate them properly? And this is nothing new. David Allen's talked about this, you know, the idea of getting it out of your head so that you can assess it properly. And then instead of trying to measure your productivity by quantifiably, you know, how many things did you do? Because a lot of the time we spend our energy and attention on things that we really don't need to do, let alone want to do. We just do that. 
um, and start to look at a balance between quantity of work and quality of work. Because we can't just focus on quality of work necessarily either all the time, because some things are going to come up, we got to bang some certain things out and urgency shows up and there's all these little things. So productivity is always going to be personal, even in an organization. So when you're working from in a large organization, uh, you have to look at things from an objective point of view, right? Like they, our objective is to finish this project. Our objective is to is to make sure all these things are covered. But then once you start to bring it down to the individual, it's how they deal with it. It's very subjective. One person may handle a task based on their energy levels. If they're great in the morning, then they will tackle those high energy tasks in the morning. And then maybe they'll do their late, lower energy tasks later in the day. If there's somebody that's in lots of meetings, they may have to look at like the gaps of time that, that they have between the meetings and, and categorize their tasks like, hey, these tasks will take me five minutes, these will take me 10, etc. And then other people might say, hey, you know what, I've got some block of time to do some really heavy qualitative work. I'm going to do some writing. Let me take a look at all the things that I've categorized as writing. So when it comes to being more productive and, and not just doing productive, but being productive, it's important to do that, like that front end work first and say, okay. Do I need to be doing all of these things or am I just checking off boxes and, and saying, look, I checked off 43 boxes today. I must have been productive because look how many boxes I checked off versus setting themselves up in a way that they can say, OK, I'm approaching my to do list now. And if I just look at it at face value, I'm going to be less productive because I'm not really assessing it and breaking it down to smaller components. So let me think about it. Oh, uh, you know what? I am tired right now. Okay, so now this list of 43 things, I now need to start off with dealing with the 12 things that I can do when I'm tired. So let me start there. So it's just about personalizing the experience, no matter whether you work for a big organization or just for yourself, and then prioritizing in a way that suits your workflow as best as possible. Well, so, so I, I dig these universal principles here then. So we're starting with a really clear picture of, of what you need to do in order to meet another core need. Uh, and then what do you want to do? I guess you think about that in terms of what is, you know, rejuvenating and, and fun and, uh, and meaningful to you. And you, you want to get the stuff out of your head. So you're not just continually re-remembering it and forgetting it and stressing about what you may have forgotten, but you've got it somewhere else for an app or a note card or a list on paper. Any other kind of just fundamental principles like, hey, whatever your tools, uh, you, you got to make sure this stuff is happening. I think that the, the biggest thing, no matter what tool you're using, I think I like to look at my, my work through the lens of the modality that I need to be in as opposed to the project I need to be working on. So you want to have two kind of lanes that you can travel down when you're looking at, at a to-do list or you're looking at a project management software piece because they're designed in the name itself, project management. So you're, you're almost kind of directed to look at the project in, in its entirety. And the problem there is that there could be bottlenecks from other people. There could be bottlenecks from yourself, such as energy levels. There could be all of these things. So what you want to do is have the ability to do that for sure. Sometimes you need to get, go like, okay, I'm putting my nose to the grindstone and working on this very specific project. And yes, I'll be jumping all over the place while doing it, but the common thread is its project. But you need to look at another way to work. And that's like, hey, and I talk about like, I've got five categories of mode-based work. So I want to look at my category, uh, my tasks by resource. So where do I need to be to do them? Uh, I need to look at them. Energy is another one. Uh, uh, let me look at the. I'll look at all my projects and see, okay, what are all the things I can do when I'm sick? 
because I'm homesick today and I can't do all this stuff. So let me look at that. Let me look at all my tasks by the type of activity because that promotes flow, right? If you want to do a bunch of research, it's almost better to do the research that you need to do all at once because you get into that mindset, right? And then the other thing is just to say, instead of jumping, I'll use the meeting example again. What often happens when people come out of a meeting and they only have, say, a half hour between that and their next meeting is they won't go to their to-do list. They'll go to email because email will tell them what to do, but it's somebody else telling them what to do. Instead, they could look at their to-do list and go, okay, I know I have a half hour. Let me look at all the tasks that I've decided are going to take me five minutes or less or and try to crank out six of them or, or six or less, that kind of thing. So I think it's important. And I believe it's important, I know this from the work I've done with clients, is that you can't just look at your to-do list at face value. You need to like, you you need to dig into it a bit more. Uh, You need to almost, in some instances, break your to-do list down because in some cases, you've got a to-do list item that says work on report. Well, that's ambiguous and it's, you have, that's really a project. You need to break that project down to its smallest particles and then segment it so that your to-do list, which may have grown from 43 visible things to, or invisible things partially, to like 116 totally visible things, then you're going to need to look at it and go, okay, how do I look at this in a way that allows me to at least feel like I'm moving the needle forward? And that doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. But once you start doing that, then you can feel that you're being actually productive because your mind and your and your direction is being kind of propelled forward based on simple questions like, how do I feel right now? How much time do I have? What type of activity do I want to do right now? Oh, I've been told I need to get on the phone right now. Well, what other things can I do when I'm on the phone? So you're not thinking in terms of just going down the to-do list in sequential order. Instead, you're kind of looking at it from the vantage point of what modality am I about to go into or do or that I either need or want to go into? And then how can I group these things together so that instead of me having these little periods of downtime as I switch from task to task, I can actually just keep moving the needle forward. It's kind of like that movie, The Pursuit of Happiness, right? You've seen that movie with Will Smith, right? Oh, yeah. It's been a while. With the, he's selling the those things. Right. <laughs> and he said, I need to maximize my time. One thing he doesn't do, which I think is, is he didn't do washroom breaks. So he didn't go get up to drink water. I would not advocate for like dehydrating yourself while you're working. But the one thing he does do, which I think is clever, is he never hangs up the phone. He just puts his finger on the, and this is of course, back when people were definitely using more office phones as opposed to cell phones. So what he did was he was putting the phone, you know, he just click on it. And that way he wouldn't lose the three seconds or whatever it was, or two seconds that it took for him to pick up the phone every single time. And then he went a step further and said, you know what, this is also a waste of my time. I'm not going to start at the bottom of the list. Instead, I'm going to go right to the top. So that allowed him to do that because he was thinking about his work instead of just going through the motions as they were given to him by his, his superiors who seemed to know better because that's the way it was always done. You have to challenge those biases because, and that's when you can be truly productive. And that's when you can start to see outcomes that you never expected because you're challenging some of those biases that are either kind of thrust upon you or that live within you. Well, so let's talk about these five modes here. So sure. we got to talk about the, the resources you have available. Maybe you need a phone, maybe you need internet, maybe you need a computer. Or a person. A resource could be a person too, right? Yeah. And then we got the energy. Hey, we're mm-hmm. feeling sick. We're feeling energized. We're feeling creative. We're feeling lethargic. We got the type of activity in terms of, hey, is this research? And then we got the time available. Is it, What's the fifth one? The fifth one is actually what I teach clients. I call it theme-based. The way I, I structure my time is I give uh, every day, and again, not everyone does this when they start working with me. They often get 
they give themselves one, a daily theme. So when I wake up first thing in the morning, I don't say, what am I going to do today? I ask myself, what day is it? And today, as we're recording this, it's a Thursday. So I'm like, oh, it's Thursday. Well, Thursday, the theme is learning. Okay, so what learning am I going to do today? So I've already kind of whittled down my to-do list a little bit by saying, hey, today is learning day. And then I can look at my much larger to-do list in a much more segmented way. So basically, the acronym is TREAT. Theme-based, resource-based, energy-based, activity-based, and time-based. So when you work by modality, you are treating yourself and your work much better. (laughs) And the themes don't have to be daily either. There's some people who just, they can't do a daily theme, at least at work. They certainly can at home. But so what they'll do is they'll do what I call a horizontal theme, which is, oh, it's nine o'clock. And from nine to 11, I focus on research or I focus on communication or I focus on administrative work. And horizontal themes are often used when I talk with clients for things that they can't just like wait an entire week or they need to do daily. So they block out, say, an hour or two of that time to focus on that kind of stuff. And the great thing about themes is they're very personal. I have some clients that have don't do daily themes, but they have from... 8 a.m. to 12 a.m. they have what's or 12 p.m. they have what's called serving mode. So they tag their tasks as serving, and it's the tasks that everybody else needs them to do. And then they go for lunch. They come back from lunch, and from one to five they go into self-serving mode, which is all the tasks that they need and want to do. And because they do that, what happens is any of the tasks that end up being self-serving are often serving others anyway. So they've got this flow. And then instead of looking at this massive responsibility list, they can say, okay, well, the morning is I'm going to take care of what other people really need and want from me. And then in the afternoon, I'm going to take care of what I know I need to be working on, which often is what other people might need as well. So it creates just less friction and more flow. And so when you work by modality and theming is one of those great things that kind of adds to it, then you're really crafting your time in a way that works for you. Well, I think it's really reassuring about that is one, it's it, you sort of like, what do I work on now? I don't know. I got 90 things I could choose from. It's like, oh, okay. Well, when, by segmenting it, it just gets sort of simpler in terms of less decision making. And I think you can feel more comfortable. This is how I feel at times. It's sort of like, if there's not a designated place for some stuff that needs to happen, there's almost like a low level anxiety or panic in terms of, I don't know if I'm ever going to get to do the things that I want to do. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a suffering servant and a martyr, <laughs> you know, is at the whim and mercy of all of these requests from all these people in terms of like, well, no, you know, this is the time that I do my stuff and, and, and I dig that. So that's a cool way to theme that I think can really be handy. And I also want to get your take when you said there's sort of a different sort of brain space or mode like research. If you, you want to kind of cluster a number of research type activities together because then your brain's in the research mode. I know that there's maybe an infinite number of kind of mental states we could catalog, but do you think of, should I call them submodalities, huh? Submodalities for uh, activity types that, that tend to uh, be like, yeah, this is like a cluster of related brain function. And here's another one. So let's use this as an example. And today is my learning day, right? So that's also an activity, right? So it's mm-hmm. not only my daily theme, but it's an activity. So I can say that today is my learning day. And then the activity mode I want to go into is researching. Now, they could be mutually exclusive, but learning doesn't have to be necessarily super active. It can be, I'm going to go out and I'm going to just discover things and notice things. Whereas research is a bit more deliberate. I'm going to dig into these things. So what happens with, you can get very personal with these. Like you can get as narrow as you want with them. But what a lot of people will do, especially in apps, like we were talking about earlier, is they'll use two or three modes per task. So they'll say, I need to read 
uh, Ryan Holiday's latest book. So that's researching mode and it's learning mode. And it's also, let's say, deep work, which is a type of energy level, right? So then they can decide. It gives them a bit more options as to say, okay, I, for me, as I'll use me as an example, I could do it on a Thursday. I could do it whenever I want to research something or I could do it on and Friday is my deep work day. I could do it on Friday. You can kind of use the different modalities with each other to kind of create this easier way to filter or give you multiple options to filter. What I kind of liken this to is the Goldilocks factor. I call it the Goldilocks factor, which is if your modalities are too wide, then you don't filter your list enough. So like home might not be the best modality if you work from home because it's not just the home, it's your home where you live. And, you know, so that might be too wide. Whereas if you were to say a uh, third drawer in dresser, that would be what I would call too narrow. Like you're going to run out of things to do, which means then your brain goes, well, now what? And then it wants to go do the random things that the brain wants to do because it doesn't want to do hard work, Right. So you want to find that like just right factor. If for someone's like for you, you might say, hey, I need a very specific kind of thinking modality that's very specific. And you might have enough tasks in there to fill it, which means that that's going to work for you. But for me, deep work is just right. If I have it too wide, if I, just, if I was just to say qualitative work, well, oh my goodness, that could be miles long. So it, it's about just figuring that out. And when I work with clients and when people follow my work and they listen to, I have a daily podcast as well called Three Minutes of Time Crafting. I kind of try to distill that down a bit because again, this is something when you start to adopt time crafting, which is this methodology that I teach, it feels overwhelming at first and people go, oh, it's too rigid. It's too, you know, it seems inflexible, but you know, you don't have to adopt it all at once. Unlike other ones that I've tried. And also I would caution against it because, you know, one thing goes wrong and you've probably encountered this too. If one thing goes wrong, you're like, well, this won't work. And you just throw the whole thing aside. Right. So that's the way I look at it is, it, you know, you can, you can have very specific, as specific as you need these modes to be, or you can have them as broad as you need them to be. And they can evolve over time too. And what's interesting there is that, you know, these aren't just arbitrary, hey, what this is a dorky fun thing we like to do is to add categories to stuff. But rather it is it's useful in the sense of it's funny, you mentioned that Friday's your deep work day. And my internal reaction was, that is insane. I would never make Friday my deep work day because <laughs> Friday I'm tired from two kids under two and sleep deprivation and four right. intense work days. And I want my deep work day to be Monday when I've rejuvenated from a Saturday to Sunday. And and I can like go and do like the hardest, trickiest thing uh, the world has to offer. Yep. And, and there you go. It's it's personal. It's like neither one of us is right. I imagine you've got your your reasons and your personal preferences and values and environmental contexts that make that uh, a very sensible choice for you. And and uh, it would be a, a poor choice for me. Well, and the great thing about that is my deep work day wasn't always Friday. Because of the very, I mean, my, when my kids were younger and I was a person who was working from home, I was in the same boat as you. But now my kids are older. They're normally out and about on Fridays. I try to take care of business Monday through Thursday. And then on Fridays, I'm like, I don't want any meetings. I just want to be, you know, from nine until 
two or three. I'm just focused on the deep work. And that also includes deep conversation with, with friends. So again, my definition of it isn't just like, I'm going to focus on like just sitting in my office all day doing deep work. Sometimes it's, I'm going to go have a coffee with a friend who I haven't had coffee with and while we'll have some deep conversations. So again, it's all how you personally define it. And the, the one thing I really made me buy into the idea of theming your days is when I wanted to move my deep work day, which I think was on a Tuesday before. It wasn't a Monday because Monday was like my admin day. All I had to do was take that deep work day, move it to Friday, and the tasks migrated there naturally because they were tagged as such. So I just knew to look at the deep work tag on Friday now instead of Tuesday. So instead of like changing the due dates and all that stuff, it was just a natural migration for me. And again, you can have, I know clients that have creative days and two of those days per week rather than just one, right? So you can make it work for you the way you want. You could theme one day, you could theme seven, you could have all horizontal themes. You could say, you know what, Mike, I love these five categories of modes, but I'm really into time. Great. Then just use time. Like, so you don't have to use them all. You just have to figure out what works for you. And then like when it comes to health and nutrition and fitness, if you keep doing the same exercise over and over and over again, your body will adapt to it and it won't be as, as tough to do it, if anything. And you also won't see the results. The results will start to change, right? Same thing with, that's why they shake up your exercise. That's why when you're on a, on a food uh, program, they start to do that as well. You know, they're like, oh, in fact, I'm on one right now. And my nutritionist is like, guess what? We're changing some of your nutritional stuff. And I said, why? And she said, because you've plateaued. Like there's nowhere. So we have to change things up to kind of, shock the system a little bit. So productivity is a lifestyle. It's not a diet. It's a lifestyle. And that means that things are going to evolve. And, and you know what? When your kids are in school, you may say, Monday, I need to leverage that for this. And Friday is going to be my family day. My buddy, Chris Ducker does that. He takes Fridays off. He calls it family day. So again, that theming can really help because it helps you, like you said, remove decision fatigue and it promotes flow over friction for sure. And I just think about the the shifting. It's like I, I'm usually not very good in terms of, like, I, if I've been sort of deep into a, sort of a spreadsheet evaluating, you know, an opportunity and the implications and possibilities of an initiative, and I'm thinking hard about that for like seventy plus minutes straight, and then someone wants to to chat about some emotional like stuff. It's like, yeah, I, I feel like I'm really sorry. I'm not effectively here for you yep. because I'm still with the spreadsheet. And uh, if, but if you have um, a little bit of separation, you, you got less dramatic shifting of, of your whole kind of brain state. Well, yeah, you know, whiplashing it back and forth. Well, and that's the thing. If people were to ask, if you were to say, hey, Mike, can you talk to me tomorrow, which is Friday? I would say, I'm sorry. No, I can't like immediately. Like there's no there's no friction in my own head. There's no it's it's understood and the brain have has created this pathway that knows that Friday I don't do meetings. And so and there have been exceptions to the rule. Like that's the thing is that you have to be flexible enough to have exceptions to the rule, but you don't want those exceptions to become the rule because then the theme starts to fall apart. So if I have a client, like let's say I miss a meeting with a client the previous week, let's say I'm sick and they're like, well, we can't do any other meeting except next Friday. I'm going to do the meeting, right? Because it's not on them. It's, you know, it's on me. That said, if they cancel the meeting and they say, well, could we do next Friday? They're likely going to get a no because now I have to decide where that boundary lies. And that's what all of this is. It's all about creating boundaries that you're willing to live with and then sticking to them. Because if you don't stick to your own boundaries, you can't expect anybody else to. 
Right. And I know the professionals listening here would say, well, that's nice for Mike, who has his own thing. I've got a boss and, and teammates to contend with. But I think that you may have less kind of leeway to establish whichever boundaries you care to establish, but you still have some. Sure. And, and I think that people can often appreciate it like, okay, cool. Yeah. You know what? I like that you're being so thoughtful about uh, your day and your time and using it to maximize kind of what we're up to. So yeah, that I understand your rationale. That works for me. And, and thank you very much. Now, you, you might also get some some folks who are not as understanding, but mm -hmm. it's uh, I think it's worth a shot, uh, especially when it's powerful and, and meaningful and impactful. And that's why when someone says that, and believe me, this is not the first time I've heard that, again, don't do all of it. You don't have to theme every day. You don't start at home. I've had people say to me, like, there's no way I could theme my days. And I said, well, when do you do your grocery shopping? Oh, well, Saturday or the weekend. Okay. Well, when do you do your housework? Well, normally on Saturday or the weekend. I'm like, so what about laundry? Well, yes, Sunday or Saturday. I'm like, so what you're saying is like Saturday or Sunday, it's kind of like the day you do household stuff. Like, yeah, mostly I would do it. So household day would be like Sunday or Saturday. Like, and then all of a sudden it's like, boom, they're like, oh, like, yeah, you're already doing it in some instances. Just own it. Just define it. Because once you do that, then there's no ambiguity and there's no confusion. So if you have a burnt out light bulb in your home office or you've got like a, you have to do something and you've got this honeydew list, let's say, if you want to call it that, you're like, okay, you know what? I know this needs to get done. I'm going to get out of my head. Where do I put it? Oh, Saturday's household day. Great. I'll put it on household day. So you got to get those biases out of your way because what most people will do, and, and I'm generalizing here, but it, it, I hear it a lot is there's no way I could theme my days. I'm like, well, could you try with one? Could you try with a certain period of time? I mean, clearly we've had themed times in our schooling. We know what a lunch hour is. That's a themed time block. It's not like they don't exist. It's just you have to be able to say, okay, you know what? I'm willing to put a boundary here, just here, just in this one instance based on my situation, and let's see how it goes. And then take it from there. Add more, evolve it, whatever you need to do. But don't just dismiss it out of hand, like you said, without trying it. Because it's worked not just for me who works from home, but I've worked with executives who are the boss as well as middle managers who are not the boss. They're managing up and down. So it can work. It's just you've got to figure out what your just right is. Well, we were having fun and uh, we're short on minutes, but I must ask. <laughs> so let's talk about motivation for a moment. Sure. What are your top suggestions for keep the motivation going strong and minimizing the risk that uh, you're going to burn out? Well, I think, again, when it comes to that, journaling is such a huge component. And uh, again, I don't know that a lot of people talk about this. We're hearing more about it. We're hearing more about journaling. But now when it comes to productivity, uh, as much as I'd like to see, I think that, you know, when you look at your to-do list and your calendar, it gives you kind of a broad strokes of what your day looked like, but there's no story behind it. You know, you can look at your calendar and say, oh, I had a meeting at this time, but it, you're not going to chronicle your feelings about it. Or you're not going to say, hey, what what worked and what didn't. You're generally just going to see it and go, and then you'll try to, again, remember what it was like. So I think that when you want to keep yourself motivated, either, and there's two types of motivation that can happen here, either the motivation of the negative components can motivate you or the positives, whatever, again, there's no right or wrong way to keep a journal or to chronicle or a daily log or whatever you want to call it. But I think that taking five minutes at either the end of your workday or at the end of your day in total is a good way for you to get perspective on what's going on in your world and realizing, A, we have way more time than we think. And B, 
every day is a scholar for the next day. As a, I can't remember, I think it was Cyrus that said that, a Roman, Roman scholar said that, but that's what it is. And if the more you journal, the less likely you're going to have to do that big, massive review, like two weeks down the road or a week down the road, because you're kind of keeping yourself course corrected as you go. And again, like people have said, oh, well, what, how should I journal? I don't know. It's the same reason that I don't know what app to use. Use an app, use paper. If you need prompts, there's plenty of places to find prompts. Use your theme days as prompts. Hey, today's daily theme was learning. Okay, did I do learning today? Yes. Oh, great. What did I learn? No. Why not? There's always something, the story you can tell. You don't know what to write about? Look in your phone and see what photos you took, right? Scan through your email and see what email you responded to. There's always something. But it's that story that matters because it's the story that's going to motivate you to either make a change or keep going. Gotcha. Thank you. Well, now, Mike, tell me a couple of your favorite things. How about a favorite book? Oh, boy. Uh, there's so many good ones. I mean, Getting Things Done is one, the book that kind of got me into productivity in the first place. So I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that. I like Stephen Pressfield's The War of Art. Mm -hmm. I love Pressfield's stuff. And I really liked Ryan Holiday's The Obstacle is the Way, like the stoicism introduction kind of was the reasoned approach to things that was so his book, The Obstacle is the Way and Ego is the Enemy was the follow up. I'd say that those are kind of the ones that I return to quite regularly. And I know that you have evolved beyond it's all about the tools, but tell me, uh, what are some of your top favorite tools that you personally have to be digging right now? So I'm really liking this app called Front because it's kind of that bridge between email and task management that I've been looking for for a long time. I can assign emails to my team members right within the app. I can comment on them. So I can kind of keep my communication silo external to my project management one, which is what we use Asana for, but I can integrate them if I want. So frontapp.com is it, and it's iOS and web-based. I'm really digging it right now, and I'm, I've only really scratched the surface of what it can do. But it's really kind of been the thing that's allowed us to keep emails that we don't necessarily need in our project management app and yet keep moving the ball forward with certain things there. So I'd say that's probably the one that I'm digging into most right now. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with your listeners and readers and clients? Stop worrying about due dates and make every day a due date. So theming helps with that. The idea that when you think about it, and I've got monthly themes, and I talk about that as well, but people tend to focus on the, like, this is when this thing is due. So I will let that sit there and let it, you know, kind of linger and linger and, oh no, tomorrow it's due. And then they go and do it as opposed to, you know, taking a little bit of time every single day and just doing it. And so I dropped that in my TEDx talk and it was kind of one of those things where people go, oh, it was like a little bit of a aha moment for them. So I'd say that that's one. Think about your taxes, right? If you started working on your taxes at the beginning of January rather than the beginning of April, how much easier would your taxes be to do? Gotcha. And do you have a final challenge or a call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yes. Look at your tasks, your to-do list, and ask yourself, is this the smallest that this task can be? Is there a smaller uh, level? Is there, are there smaller particles to this thing? Because when you do that, then it makes it easier for you to kind of categorize them and move the needle forward a little bit on each one as opposed to the work on report that you leave on your to-do list and then leave it unchecked because you didn't finish it. Whereas if you were to write 100 words for the report or do research for the report 
or spend 30 minutes on research for the report. That's something you could check off. That's the kind of thing that you can do to keep yourself moving forward because you need that encouragement. You need to see that you're moving the needle forward daily because when you see that, then it makes the work rewarding and it makes you feel like you're actually being productive instead of just checking off boxes with the hope that what you're doing is actually getting recognized and happening on a daily basis. Awesome. Mike, this has been a real treat. I wish you lots of luck and fun and keep on doing the good work. Thanks so much for having me, Pete. I really do appreciate it. And I hope that there was a lot of value in what I had to share today. I really appreciated Mike's take on how the app isn't going to do the work for you. You got to really do the thinking first and then find an application that fits you. And, and I think that I've seen this a few times before. People say, oh boy, you know what? I'm, I just got to get organized. I'm sort of off track. I'm going to do this. And, and often, no matter how beautifully graphically displayed things are, if you're not doing the hard thinking in terms of, okay, what is the best mode where this works? What is really most important to me? And what does this help me achieve? And all that stuff, then you're only going to get so far with the apps. And so I think that's just a good reminder from a dude who loves his apps. <laughs> Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items you've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F473. And if you haven't already, I hope to push subscribe. You'll catch our next guest. It is Pat Flynn, the dude who taught me how to podcast. We were talking about how to form super fans, make great impressions with people so that they love you, want to help you out and sing your praises everywhere. Until next time, peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.